Howdy folks, this is the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. And today, definitely beware, there will be spoilers as I'm looking at volume 4, issue number 16 from IDW. If you want to contact, send any kind of feedback, Teal Productions on Twitter is the quickest, surest way to get to me. Teal is T-E-A-L, like the color. I post the episodes on the Usagi Ojimbo fan and Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook pages. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit. Welcome to leave comments there. Email address is usagipodcast at gmail.com. And we have forums at justanotherfanboy.freeforums.net. As I indicated, I'm looking at Usagi Ojimbo volume 4, issue number 16 from IDW. Went on sale January 6th. 2021. Now the cover I have is the uh, cool uh, AF uh, cover for the retailer incentive for issue 16. That was drawn by John Samariva with inks or colors by Francisco Paco Perez. And for those that don't have this one, it is an image of Usagi having crossed a bridge to get to uh, some temples or pay, maybe a castle in the background. It is early spring, the time of the uh, Sakura snow. The cherry blossom petals are falling all around, uh, and they're on several of the trees here on the cover as well. What makes the cover cool is that Usagi had quite the battle to cross this bridge, and having crossed it, he is pictured turned rather sideways, looking over his shoulder back at the death and destruction that he had to fight his way through to get to where he is, laying on the bridge between he and us, so it's kind of in front of him, even though he's quasi-facing away, are, I don't know, five or six or seven Nico Ninja with all of the different weapons that they used to try to stop Usagi Arrayed, most of them being arrows, throwing stars, and various kinds of throwing knives as they're sticking into various parts of the wooden bridge. Just really, really cool cover. Uh, the main cover is an image by Mr. Sakai, colored by Hi-Fi, of a Guin uh, Tengu about to lay the claws down on Usagi, who it is holding... Uh, pinned to the ground by his throat, and he's about to be slashed. Uh, I see a Tokagi here in the shadows back in the background, but the uh, Gayan Tengu looks very much, in my mind, like a werewolf or a, uh, a lycanthropic creature of some sort. This retailer incentive has absolutely no bearing on the story. Mr. Sakai's A cover very much does, which is, you know, by rights. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the Retailer incentives, uh, the variants, the store incentives, whatever you want to call them, um, they, they, the people have the freedom. I've noticed to draw almost exclusively whatever they want to, as long as it involves Usagi. So uh, they don't have access to the story, so they're not going to know to what, what kind of image to make to make it um, correlate to the story. But this is the first issue of a three-part story entitled Tengu War, and if you remember. Last episode of the new volume, Usagi had been going to meet up with a friend, I say loosely, of his, Sujobo, who he refers to as a sensei, and he is a yokai 
uh, a Tengu to be uh, more exact, who Usagi had trained under at one point. And when he arrived, he saw that Sanjobo or that Sojobo was in rather dire straits. Here we open the story with Sojobo telling Usagi that story of how he got to the point that he was when Usagi found him. He says, I was fetching water. I hate fetching water. And we see him carrying it on his hook. He having lost a hand, which actually in this story, uh, we get the story of how he lost that, that hand. He says, I smelled them before I heard them. They have an awful stench. And he is, Sojobo is attacked by a couple of them. Fight ensues. He quickly dispatches one. The second one, kind of waiting in the wings, comes at him. And it's a much uh, longer fight. And then we see three more creep out of the woods uh, to attack him. And they all attack him in mass. He fends off at least one, maybe two, retreats into his house here. He kills another and fends off the fourth, apparently. So it looks like he's killed them all. Very tired, very beat up and whipped. And he just collapses on his uh, sleeping uh birth, uh, dais, uh, let's see, I can't think of what word I want to call it, but it's a, it's a section that is raised up off the ground like a big platform that he sleeps on and eats on and, and does all that to get him up off the, the dirt floor. He says, I was fortunate there were not more of them. Thank you for cleaning and dressing my wounds, Usagi. You did a good job. I had done it so many times on the battlefield, Sojobo-sensei. What are these guin? And this, uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, Gayen, Guin, G-U-H-I-N, Usagi throws out that word and it, it had not appeared here in the book before. So he says it like, I don't know, like it was offered. And then there's a, I don't know, the, the next several panels feel kind of funky and cumbersome, like maybe they got mixed up in translation or something. I don't know. It, it just struck me as kind of odd. But um, Sajobo says that the, they're Tengu. And Usagi says, Tengu, like you? And Sajobo says, don't be insulting. They're different species of Tengu altogether and entirely feral. And Usagi finishes with, well, they look hideous. On that, we agree. I've never heard of the Guin Tengu. They're the lowest order of Tengu. Whereas we, Dai Tengu, and the bird-like Karasu Tengu, claim the highest, most sacred mountains, the Guin occupy the lesser hills and peaks. They're bound to the earth, not blessed by heaven as we are. Their jealousy and rage causes them to strike out against their betters. They then turn to eating some dinner. Uh, seems that Usagi brought with him mochi uh, that was prepared and given to Usagi for his journey by Mariko. And uh, Sujobo says, I'm sorry you two did not marry. At least you have a son. And Usagi's like, what? How did you know? Because that's definitely on the, the DL. So Jobo says, I'm a Tengu. We have many ways of gleaning knowledge. Jotaro is a fine young samurai. Ah, yes, thank you. He looks rather uh, embarrassed and um, almost kind of a pious kind of look. Usagi here. At least the danger of the Guin is now over. And so Jobo says, uh, no, that was just a party of five. They're, they're a scouting party testing out before the main invasion. And Usagi says, invasion? So Joba says, yes, indeed. Um, there has been a long-standing conflict between Tengu, the uh, his type of Tengu, which he indicated, which were the 
what we die Tengu and these Goen Tengu. Usagi says, well, you know, I'll, I'll hang around and, and we'll take this out together. And Sujobo says, no, this is a Tengu war. It, it's not yours. And Usagi says, but don't you remember? I owe you my hand. And this causes Sujobo to laugh. Um, back when they met, the training was that should Sujobu defeat Usagi, because at the time Usagi said he could beat anyone, uh, as he was trying to get into Sujobo's graces to be trained in his battle to prove that he was worthy. It was a one-on-one -on -one fight. Should Usagi win, Sujobo would take him on. And should Sujobo win, he would claim Usagi's hand as his own, since he only had one. And more importantly, he would call in that hand at some point in the future. Whenever he needed out of the blue, he would call for the hand. So uh, Usagi went ahead with the with the battle because he wanted to learn from Sujobo and ultimately lost, but Sujobo chose to train him because of what he saw in Usagi, what he showed as he was uh, made of, his, his metal. Your gesture of support is more than I could have expected. Uh, Sujobo says, thank you, Usagi, but I release you from your obligation. Sujobo sensei, if you will not accept my offer to settle my debt of obligation, then please accept my help as an expression of friendship. And Sujobo laughs again. In that case, I accept. Let me first tell you what you're getting into. It will be no disgrace if you change your mind. You see, this is not my first battle with the Guin. So we, uh, he, he's telling the story, and this is the story uh, that ultimately explains how he lost his hand. He was leader of a um, particular clan of the Dai Tengu, and they were having a you know a celebration and whatever. They were attacked by the Guan. A pretty major battle ensued with uh, people going down on both sides until the one big main nasty ugly of the Guan named Yaban. He was leader of this particular group of Guan, was all that was left, and he kept going at Sujobo until ultimately he took Sujobo's hand. But in the ensuing battle around them, so many members of this attack pack, this attack tribe, were lost that he called for a retreat. So Sujobo's Tengu won the battle, but in the process, Sujobo lost his hand. And he shows Usagi his big piratey hook here to just hammer that home. Suddenly they're interrupted as Sujobo says he smells something and U Usagi doesn't. Sujobo says, you don't have a noble nose like I do. Grab your swords. The Guan have arrived. And they step outside. And we see uh, here in the clearing and on the roof of the hut that they were in are four of the Guan. But in the background, there are eyes for uh, six more hiding in the shadows. So it looks like a much larger force than the original five have come to to, to something. I, I don't know why they're necessarily attacking him by himself. Uh, Sajobo is just a single. He, after his loss, and because he lost a hand, he was disgraced. He moved off by himself. So he's been living for, you know, who, who knows however long in the woods by himself. So why the Goan would want to defeat him by himself I doesn't quite make sense to me, but that's what's going to happen. There is a, a piece here in the back that tells us about the Guin, and it is written by Zach Davison. Now, un 
connected to this, I was doing research to try to find more about this type of Tengu. And lo and behold, I come upon a website with a post by Zach Davison. So actually, this post that I found about uh, Guin slash Tengu slash Yokai is uh, where this excerpt is taken that is printed in the back of Mr. Sakai's book here. Now, if you will bear with me, I'm going to read this. I think it adds a lot of good information. Uh, my reading may not be the best, and I apologize. I definitely apologize for my horribly Anglo pronunciation of some of these words that are going to be coming up. If you uh, choose to take the time to educate and, and correct me, I'll be more than happy to make that correction when next these words appear. If you walk through a hillside forest and hear the cackling of mysterious laughter where no one is, or the sound of a crashing tree when none have fallen, take caution. You may have stumbled into the territory of a Guin. These mischievous sprites, excuse me, these mischievous spirits are a species of Tengu, charged by mountain kami with the task of ensuring humans have proper awe and dread of their rocky realms. Tengu are among the most ubiquitous of Japan's yokai. They come in several forms. Dai Tengu are perhaps the best known, the long-nosed, red-faced mountain spirits that appear in stories as skilled fighters and wise sages. Next are the Ko Tengu, also known as Karasu Tengu. These bird-like tengu are more savage and wilder than their cousins. They're the foot soldiers. Lowest in the pecking order are the guan. Common tricksters and pebble throwers, guan are far removed from the lofty realms of the dai tengu or the fierce skies of the ko tengu. In modern times, guan are usually depicted as dog-headed creatures. That's why, to me, they look like uh, lycanthropes, like werewolves. This is unusual for Tengu, or even as even the word literally means heavenly dog, Tengu are overwhelmingly avian. In fact, for whatever reason, dogs are rare in Japanese folklore. Cats, rabbits, tanuki, foxes are everywhere, but with few exceptions, dogs stay dogs. Guin as dogs appear to be a recent invention. There are no physical descriptions of Guin in Edo period sources. All art and stories of the time describing Guin as mysterious forces that are never actually seen. Most likely, current descriptions are based on their name, which translates literally as dog guest. A typical Guin story can be found in the 1764 collection Sanshu Kadan. A man wanders deep into the mountains gathering leaves when he's assaulted with a sudden and ferocious hailstorm that comes out of nowhere. The man flees back to a nearby village where locals tell him that a Guin lives in those woods. They warn him that anyone who removes a single leaf from that forest will die. Guin are, to borrow from Shakespeare, but yokai of the working day. Their existence is intimately intertwined with human lives, and they exist on earthly, not heavenly, planes. It's said that while the Daitengu and the Kotengu occupy the sacred peaks of Japan, the Guin live in the myriad nameless hills that define the craggy surface of a country that is 80% mountainous. Also, while Daitengu and Kotengu are associated with Buddhism and the mountain aesthetic religion of Shugundo, Guin are closer to the indigenous Shinto religion. Guin are most closely identified with Sanga Kushigo, mountain worship, and the ancient folkloric deities that were native to Japan before the introduction of Buddhism from Korea. Gushin are said to be Excuse me, Guin are said to be servants of the mountain kami. Their primary task is to inspire fear and awe of the mountain realms. In their bag of tricks are such mischief as Tengu Teoshi and auditory phenomena where you hear the crashing of trees falling when no tree actually fell, Tengu Subute, a rain of gravel thrown from nowhere, Tengu Warai, Tengu Warai, 
a mysterious laughter heard deep in the woods, and Tengubi, mysterious lights that drift through the forest. There are no accounts of Guin causing actual harm to humans. They lack the divine powers of their cousin Tengu and are not described as dangerous. Guin prefer to stay out of sight and hurl stones and create illusions to frighten people. However, they are still supernatural beings. It is said if you didn't heed the Guin's warnings and wantonly destroy the nature they protect, they could still bring disaster and revenge. <sighs> so That's a whole page of text. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I hope I didn't badger that up too badly and make it too difficult to hang out. So, um, Miyamoto Usagi and Sajobo are our dramatis personae. Uh, there is the Guin and Yaban, who is the leader of the Guin tribe that attacks Sajobo that cost him his hand. Uh, we do have mochi, uh, which is uh, eaten by Usagi and Sajobo, and the introduction of Kurasu Tengu. I think that's um, a lot of, of yokai Tengu talk here, and there probably will be for the next two issues after this, for three total. Well, four, if you want to count the previous issue, which uh, introduces Sajobo. So we'll, we'll be having more of these spirit, uh, supernatural... Uh, maybe demony kind of talks. Hopefully, you'll. Uh, I won't butcher things up too badly. But um, next time out, we'll take a break from that, and we'll take a look at Volume Three of Usagi Ojimbo, Issue Number Fifty Six from Dark Horse Comics, that was released in March of two thousand two. For those of you that are interested in those type of notes, uh, with that, that's everything for me, and I will bid you adieu. <laughs>